This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and you are listening to the Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents, us parents, to work towards the same happiness, health, engagement, and of course, awareness. The reason we think awareness is so important is because we believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and attention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Finding the Right College Fit, Focus on What Matters. And there is no better person to have on the show for this topic than my esteemed and trusted colleague, Dr. Denise Pope. Dr. Denise is a senior lecturer at the Stanford University Graduate School of Education, where she specializes in student engagement, curriculum studies, qualitative research methods, and service learning. Challenge Success is an expanded version of the SOS Stressed Out Students Project that Dr. Denise founded and directed from 2003 to 2008. She's the author of Doing School, How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students, which was awarded Notable Book in Education by the American School Board Journal. And she's also co-author of Overloaded and Underprepared, Strategies for Stronger Schools, and healthy, successful kids. Dr. Denise lectures nationally on parenting uh, techniques and strategies to increase student health, engagement and learning, and integrity. She is a three-time recipient of the Stanford University School of Education Outstanding Teacher and Mentor Award, and was honored with the 2012 Education Professor of the Year Educator's Voice Award from the Academy of Education, Arts, and Sciences. Before going to Stanford, Dr. Denise taught high school in Fremont, California, and college composition and rhetoric at Santa Clara University. She lives in Los Altos with her husband and three children. Denise, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. So I was so excited, first of all, that you uh, agreed to come back, and I thought of you right when I read, uh, when I got the email from Challenge Success on the new white paper, which has a very similar title about about the finding the right college fit. And I love, love, love the content of what that paper has found, uh, is written about through research. And um, 
I, I also have told the story last time. I'm going to tell it quickly again. The first time I heard you speak when you over uh, over a decade ago, you talked a lot about these same things about re-looking at what really matters for college prep and college match. And there were people in the audience who were so upset that the findings do not say that if we work our kids harder, get them with the best coaches, schedule them, have perfect scores, and you know have them involved in 150 activities, they not only will get into every great school, but they also will be very healthy, well-prepared people for life. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that's not the that's, equation, right? <laughs> that's not it. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, so, okay, I'm trying to think where we should start here, because um, why don't you say like what you guys have been seeing and working on from Challenge Success, which led to this most recent white paper? Sounds good. So we are at year 15, believe it or not, with Challenge Success. I know. We just had our 15-year anniversary, and we've worked very closely with over 400 schools at this point. Hmm. And what we do is we, we work with schools and look at what are some of the issues they're seeing around health, anxiety, depression, a lack of engagement, maybe kids are cheating. What are some of the issues they're seeing at their school around health and engagement? And how can we help them? How can we use research to help them translate that research into better practices for healthier and more engaged kids? And when we work with schools, we may talk about changing the schedule so that you're not running around like a chicken with your head cut off eight times a day. Maybe we talk about um, changing the way they do assessments so you don't have three or four tests in a day or even in a week. Um, We talk about a bunch of things, right? Maybe you want to institute an advisory period where kids and teachers get to know one another. A teacher has a small group of kids who they're sort of responsible for for the year. And What we found over and over again is that the schools were happy to try to do these things, but there was this lingering elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room was if we do these things, if we make school healthier and more engaging and more joyous and actually better in terms of teaching and learning, uh, is it going to hurt our students' chances of getting into college? And in particular, is it going to hurt the top students' chances of getting into top colleges. And when we did our parent education around the changes, we would hear very much this fear from the parents. And then when we survey kids, which is something that we do, so I'm giving you all all the background here. When we survey kids, the high school students, the number one cause of stress or source of stress and anxiety for students is typically overload. But the number two source of stress is usually college admissions. And we thought, okay, We need to put together a bunch of the research that we know is out there, but in lots of different places. We need to put it all together in one place to show that in the big grand scheme of things, it it pretty much doesn't matter where you go to school. And, And I say that pretty much because it depends on who you are, but certainly the things that people are relying on, the rankings and this idea of college selectivity, College selectivity is really not a reliable predictor of many of the student outcomes that the parents and kids and, and teachers think it is. So that's why we wrote the paper. And to really hammer home, the largest findings were that 
it's not where you go to school, it's the fit with that school for you, which determines later not only life, not only success, but satisfaction. Exactly. So our, our line that we've been saying is it's not where you go to college, it's actually how you go to college and what you do there when you're there. And it is about fit and finding that place where you're going to engage. And it turns out that when you find the right fit where, where you really can engage in college, and we can go into more details as to what that means, it has long lasting repercussions for um, what, what the scale was named as the thriving scale. And it turns out that the people who went to just a wide variety of colleges, doesn't matter how selective it is, but if they engage there, if they found professors who, who inspired them and motivated them and a whole host of other things, they were more likely to thrive um, both in college, but also later on in life. And this, okay, so that this fits my uh, personal and clinical experience, and yet it flies in the face of... Uh, different areas around the country where you are in the South Bay, where I am on the East Bay, where this is not the prevailing mentality is if you don't get into one of these, quote, top schools, or as you said, selective schools, you will not have the same advantages of people who don't. Right. So this is totally in the face of that. Right. So so let's be clear with some definitions first off. So I want to I want to define selectivity. Selectivity is actually any college that decides not to admit some kids that are applying. So you could have uh, a, a college that admits 85% of the students, and that's still considered a selective school. A school that's not selective, a non-selective college, is like a community college where, where pretty much anyone can go. Maybe you need a high school diploma or equivalent. You know, you got to pay some money, but, but they let everybody in. So when we're talking about selectivity, that's kind of all the schools that that have some kind of gatekeeper saying you can or can't get in. When we're talking about highly selective schools, again, depends on sort of whose research you're using and how they define it, but highly selective schools are the ones that admit sort of fewer kids out of all the kids that apply. So that's those are the terms that we're using because those are the terms that come from the research. Okay. So there's the list that everyone talks about, and the list of the top schools, like there, there's there's a behind the scenes, like everything, right? There's a behind the scenes to how those lists are made and what goes into those lists and how much it actually generalizes to the real world. I know that's a mouthful I just said, but what can you say about that? <laughs> yeah. So those, those lists um, are yeah. called rankings. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of organizations that rank colleges based on a whole host of criteria. And the one that's probably the most famous is the U.S. News and World Report, That's, but there are many others like it. And what we decided to do was really dig into how are these ranking agencies actually coming up with how to rank the schools? Who decides that Harvard should be number one or number five or number seven in any given year? And, and are they ranking all of them? Because there's actually over 4,000 accredited universities, and they're not ranking all of them. Most of the ranking agencies go down to about, you know, 400, 500, maybe they go down to 1,000. But um, there, there's no agency out there that's ranking every single school out there. And when you look at how what they're using to actually rank them, it's actually pretty eye-opening, pretty surprising. And I'm happy to take you through it if that 
is of interest. <laughs> well, so what? What? Why don't you hit for everyone? What are the main things that those rankings look at, and then we can contrast that to well, is that really what we should be looking for, or should we be looking for these other things? Good, good. So, like I said, there's different rankings, but the popular ones, the ones that we tend to know people look at, um, use things like graduation rate. So graduation rate is actually a pretty big part of the rankings, how many um, students from each college can graduate within six years. It's not four. For most of these big times, it's six years. They look at something called peer reputation and guidance counsel reputation. And just think about this, right? There's, Let's say you your list covers 300 to 500 schools. There is no college counselor in the United States who could possibly have a grasp on everything that's going on at all these schools to know how to rank them. And yet that's basically what they're asked to do, right? And think of the peer reputation. So the presidents of the universities aren't going to know, again, sort of the nuances that this university started a new program. This university has really reinvented itself. They're not going to know that. So those are weighted really heavily and they're not accurate. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of someone saying, when someone says, I'm going to apply to all the Ivy League schools. I just want to get into an Ivy League school. And as an example, they all you know, have a good reputation. They sound good, but they are so different amongst themselves that that's just a blanket statement based on a perception of what is a good place or what other people consider as good. Absolutely. And and the thing that all the Ivy League schools have in common, which is why they're usually pretty high up on the rankings, is are these things that, that people don't even even think about or may not, you know, so graduation rate and reputation, but they also talk about endowment. They talk about alumni giving. They talk about uh, full-time faculty ratio. And the irony is that a lot of these schools, that means nothing because you are taught by TAs or graduate students. So the things that the rankings are measuring are not things that necessarily impact your average undergraduate. And right. um, so, so, you know, who decided that the Ivies should be at the top or who decided there's such a thing called the Ivies? They happen to be just some of the oldest universities in the U.S. And it used to be that that's where sort of the elite um, sent their progeny. And today you'll still see that it's where the elite send their progeny um, for, for, for the most part. And it really has nothing to do. And the rankings do not measure outcomes, right? What actually you get out of college. The rankings can't, they don't measure that. That's not what they, they look at. So we wanted to measure that. We wanted to say, well, wait a minute. Okay. Well, you know, which colleges, in which colleges do you learn the most? We looked at learning as an outcome. In which colleges, if you go there, will you make the most money when you get out, right? So we looked at financial outcomes. In which colleges, um, when you get out, are you better off? Do you have higher rates of well-being and higher rates of job satisfaction? So we chose to look at outcomes that, that we think are important based on what we're hearing from our families and what they're concerned about. And that's where we really dove deep into the research and found really almost no correlation between learning as an outcome and where you go to school. Um, almost no correlation, again, between what we had talked about thriving and, and where you go to school. Um, and with the financial one, there is some nuances that I can walk you through, but not nearly what people think. Okay. So I thought I, one of those 
I thought, and I so this might be an oversummary, but that people, since we were talking about Ivy League schools, that people from Ivy League schools actually did make a little more money, but they have less satisfaction. Is that one of the core? Well, okay, of so that, that is one, one research study did <laughs> yeah. find that, um, and yet, and yet, what I think is really important is let's take Harvard as an example, and it, it, I'm making up these numbers. It's not really Harvard, but let's just use that as an example. You can imagine that the difference between the person at Harvard who gets out and makes the most money and the person who goes to Harvard and gets out and makes the least amount of money that's a huge, huge, huge gap. And what the research will say is the in-school gap is much larger than the gap between the people who go to that school and the people who don't. Yes, that's significant. Yes. That's significant. Yes. So this this opens things up quite a bit because there are between, what, about 4,500 colleges and universities in the United States? What, what's the that number these correct. days? That is correct, 4,500. Okay. 4,500. And I know from our area where everyone's stressing out in my office and everyone that we know is I'm not going to get into a good school. And that what that means is the top UC schools, Stanford and the Ivy League schools. So I don't know how many that is. So it's maybe 10 schools or less Mm -hmm. and that nothing else exists around the country except Mm -hmm. those schools. So this pressure of if I don't get a 4.5, I'm not even going to have a chance to get in. So we need we need to dispel this myth, right? Because your your fifteen years of work and this latest research continues to show that there, first of all, is a place for everyone, and we really should be looking at different factors when we're helping our kids find the right fit for them. Absolutely, and so even if you were someone who said, "I want my student to go to the most highly selective schools." The research that we've shown is you could go to over 200. Okay, so there's 4,500 total. Yes. And you can get a great education. You can learn at the same rate as anyone who goes to a community college and Harvard, right? If you're motivated, if you're if you're engaged, there's no difference in learning. There's no difference in terms of um, well-being and job satisfaction. That The Gallup-Purdue poll showed community colleges, non-selective colleges, as well as selective colleges, no difference. But even if that troubles you and you want to make sure that the financial piece is there, there, the researchers who looked at what would be considered sort of the high tier colleges, there's anywhere, depending on which researcher you believe, 100 to 200 to 300 of those schools that you will end up very similar in terms of financial outcome as the ones who go to the top of the U.S. News and World Report. Um, with one exception, which I think is important to mention, that um, if you are a first-generation student, it actually would be better for you to go to a more selective school than, let's say, a community college. Part of that is because of the persistence rate at these schools and the graduation rate at these schools tends to be better for Latino, African-American uh, first-generation students, because of the support system, because of the financial aid that you get in these schools. But for everybody else, there really isn't uh, a significant difference. So then, given that, and you hear that, everyone, there really <laughs> isn't a significant difference. This is really good news. Once we get past the, 
wait a second, I don't have, I've been racing to get into one of these selective schools or to help our kids get into selective schools. You don't have to, you don't have to throw away that dream. The good news is there are so many options and we don't need to stress as much as we tend to. So given that, Denise, what, what should parents be thinking about? What are the factors that you guys have found? Okay. So what we want you to think about is engagement. And we want you to think about engagement both in college, but also ways to practice and understand what engagement is. We want you to think about engagement in high school as well. And that is what we at Challenge Success help schools do. So it turns out the thing that does make a difference is how you do college instead of where you do college. And if you go to a college where you find professors who inspire you, where you may find a mentor, where you may work on an internship so you can apply what you learn, where you may get involved with research across semesters. So you're doing a deep dive into something that you're excited and passionate about. And one of my favorite ones on this list is where you find community where you may be able to join an extracurricular activity or a religious group or something like that, where you find your people. And the, the nice thing about that is that can happen at a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of colleges. That doesn't only happen at the top 10 colleges on the U.S. News and World Report. So that's really what people should be looking for. And, and, and how do you do that? So, so I had a parent say to me, okay, let's say I buy that the rankings are problematic. Let's say I believe you. That's all I got to tell me how to delineate and where to send my kid to school. Now, what do I do? Now, how do I choose? And there's 4,500. How are we supposed to know where the kids should go? Mm-hmm. And that's that question, that's where you have to start looking at engagement. Where will you be able to find those professors? Maybe you're going to um, be able to engage more in a place that has your favorite sports, right? So don't, if you're an athlete, don't go somewhere where they don't offer, you know, rock climbing. If you're a rock climber, right? It could be as simple as that, right? but it can also be a little bit like, you know, and obviously what do you think you're going to major in? Don't go somewhere where they don't have your major. We have a lot of kids at Stanford who show up thinking that we have certain majors that we do not have. We do not offer them, right? So, so don't, you know, do your homework in that sense, but also, it should take a load off because many, many, many colleges can provide those engaging opportunities. So then you can start looking at other things that might make a difference to you. Location, um, climate, uh, big size, small size, in a city, near a city, rural, with a, you know, gate around it, or, you know, lots and lots of, does it, do you, are you interested in having a big Greek life or no Greek life at all? Um, are you someone with learning differences? Maybe you want to seek out a school that has really strong support for kids with LD, right? So really, then it becomes much more about you. This about you. You you look around and see what makes sense for me, given who I am, given what I value and, and what I want to experience in school. That's, yes, that all of that, that's great. And as I'm listening to you, I can see how that information, we're trying to decrease the anxiety for parents and for kids. And in some respects, I think we need to talk, we need to talk people through this because I could see how it would increase anxiety in the sense of, okay, wait, before I knew what eight or 10 schools that I was going to apply to and needed to get in. And now you're telling me that there are literally hundreds that I have to choose from. So it it makes it really, really seeming like a big decision but all the indicators or all the factors that you said are ways to whittle it down. So, for example, there are people who say, I want to be in a city. 
Right. Or people say, I want to be in a college town or I want to be in a rural area. That All of these little, these line items remove a lot of, you could slowly remove a lot of schools. Exactly. And, and, and you know, lots of things are important to kids. I, a friend of mine's kid said, I will only go to a school that has really good environmental sustainability. Like that's very, very important to him. And he didn't want to go to a school that maybe doesn't have recycling systems as good as they should be or isn't interested in solar and all of this. And that really helped him choose a school and 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 helped him think about where there's going to be my people are going to go to this school. My people are going to care about sustainability like I do. Um, and and I know it it sounds daunting, but we have this amazing thing called the Internet. And you, what's kind of cool is you can type in to the internet, let's say you want a school with a block schedule. A block schedule is really awesome in college. You take one or two classes at a time. That's it, right? And you focus all your time on those and they're they're pretty intense. It's not for everyone, but for some kids, it's great. You can type into the internet, colleges and universities with block schedules, and you will get a list of schools that you probably haven't even heard of that you can then go onto their websites and learn more about them. So use the internet, use the resources on there. If there's a school that you know you love, you can type in schools that are similar to X and things will pop up. Now, it's not totally perfect 100% of the time, so don't just rely on that, but ask around, ask some college um, counselors or advisors, ask the kids who went on to different schools that you never heard of from your high school, right? There's lots of ways to find that information about where you'll find you know, your people. So if you had one major piece of advice for parents in terms of what perspective would be the healthiest and least stressful for them to have and to um, pass on to their growing child, what would you say that perspective would be? Well, one thing that helps me, you know, I'm going through it. My my youngest is a senior. So this is time number three for me. And the way that I keep very calm and very sane is I know that he will get into a school where he will be able to do all of these things that are predictive, right? He will be able to find professors. He will be able to engage in activities. He will be able to participate in internships or research opportunities, because that's kind of every college these days, right? So I'm not worried that he's going to find a spot. And what's exciting then is to let him figure out what spots he wants to to apply to and to do that with a really open mind um, and to look at some of the you know, there are there there's data on, gosh, you don't have to have straight A's and you don't have to have perfect test scores at these schools. So this school seems to be a likely match for you. You will probably you will likely get in and you you will like it. Right. So mm-hmm. in my right. head, we, we look for the likelies. Um, we don't call them safeties. We look for the likelies, we look for schools that you're likely to get into and that you're going to like. And that, that takes all the pressure off. It takes all the pressure off the parent and the kid. Once you find one of those schools, it takes all the pressure off. Hey, I could go here. It, the, all the data shows that I could get in here uh, pretty, pretty safely, and I like it. So then everything else is gravy. Everything else is like, well, you know, maybe I want to apply here. This is a little bit harder to get into, but it's got, you know, the major that I like a little bit better than the one other school that I looked at. You know, then everything else is gravy. But but just to have that open mind and know there is a place where your kid is going to get in and they're going to be fine. So I take love a that. chill. Yes. Take a chill pill. Take a chill. Parents. Take a chill. <laughs> and then 
what we do all know from our own experiences and then um, also from our kids, our oldest is now a freshman, so having gone through this for, for the first time last year, the same thing happened with her, which I think has happened with your kids too, is once you narrow it down, there's the intangibles when kids go and visit, they know. Like, they get a feeling of, oh, no, this isn't it. You're like, wait, what do you mean? We just got here. And then at the same time, (laughs) I like this place, right? So there's these intangibles that our kids know. they're, they're, They're their own guides. And we then need to listen to them once they get to that spot. You do have to listen to them. And I know this is hard as a parent, and we just went through this. We, we visited the most beautiful school, I think, in the entire U.S. I'm not going to say the name, but I thought, oh, mm-hmm. my goodness, this is just gorgeous. And I can really see him there, and they seem to have things that I thought he would like. And when we got in the car, I said, so, what would you think? And he's like, nope. and so you have to kind of put your own little you know desires and interests and love i mean i already went to college i'm not going to go to there um this is is about him and you do have to listen to the kid and i and the other thing i would say is you don't have to go and visit i know that that seems to be the thing but it also can be kind of pricey and not everybody can afford to do it what you can do is what i would call the proxies so around you wherever you live There are small schools and big schools. There are schools that are built into sort of a city community. There are schools that are sort of behind, you know, the gate and have more of a campus life. And there are schools that offer different kinds of things. And what you can do is do a local visitation, right? Go onto those local campuses and then extrapolate. So if you like the local um, university that has um, a reputation, you know, for, I don't know, engineers or STEM or whatever, then you can extrapolate out, oh, my kid's going to like a place where they can study STEM and are around a lot of STEM or engineering types. And um, and so I don't want you to feel like you have to travel all over the country, although it is kind of fun if you're going to visit a relative in a different place to stop by a college or a university just to hear, just to see, and just to be open to ones that you've never heard of. That's a great point. Um, I'm glad you said that also, that you don't have to go. And secondly, when you're going to just other places for other things, there's often a college or university in driving distance that you could just take a flyby and check it out. Exactly. And take advantage of the college fairs. I will say one of my kids discovered a school we had, even I had not heard of, and I know a lot of the schools at a college fair and ended up really liking it and, um, and learning a lot about it and, and talking to the representative and being open. So don't just walk by those booths of schools you never heard of. They could be the one. You never know. You never know. Okay. It's time for the parent footprint moment question. This is not your first time, so (laughs) it's going to be fun. Okay, so the Parent Footprint Moment question. Tell us, Denise, about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. There's lots of times where I became aware of it. I'm going to give you an example of when I realized that I am role modeling at all times. (laughs) So we were out and there were people who were um, engaging in conversation that was inappropriate, let's say, um, at a restaurant. And other people were kind of laughing. They were very loud. And I realized at that moment that my whatever five or six-year-old was looking at me, kind of seeing how am I going to react? 
And, Mm. and I, and so it's, I had to, you know, whether or not I would have reacted and kind of chuckled or laughed or whatever, or score, you know, became angry or whatever. I realized that I was being watched and that my behavior was going to serve as a model for this little person. Um, And that even today, like as you know, when your kids learn to drive, you start to go, wait a minute, I better be a really good driver because I'm a model now. They're watching me as they're learning how to drive. There's just times where you're constantly reminded, even with that college, the, the college thing where I thought, wow, this is awesome. Maybe he sh- he'll go here. And I started to get excited. And he said, no, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. you are, <laughs> right. you, that's right. a real parent footprint moment where you go, oh, <laughs> yes, you are your own person. Yes. Um, and maybe you don't need me for all of these things. So I've had a couple, that's a, I've kind of smushed a lot into one, but I've had a couple. <laughs> I like how you smushed it because those are total parent footprint moment questions because first off that our kids are always absorbing from us uh, like constantly even when we wish they were wished they weren't they always yes. are so our energy our emotion our behavior and then also huge parent footprint awareness which is that they are different beings than us with their own ideas and can we separate our own needs from theirs Yes, which is which hard. Which you did. It is hard. It's really hard, <laughs> which is why we like to talk about it all the time, because we need to keep it with our intention and purpose. So, Denise, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for t- enlightening us all about how we can take a chill pill relax, guide our kids through this college process, which you guys have found a challenge success is the um, number two most stressful, stressful reason, stressed out reason for them, how we can reduce that and look at this with hope that there are so many schools to choose from. And then, as you said, it's not where you go to college, it's how you go to college and how you do college. And what we're really wanting our kids to get out of college is engagement as well as in high school, and finding community and opportunity to grow and be with their people. And with that, the research shows it'll all be good. So thank you. And tell everyone where they continue to find all of your talks, challenge uh, successes work, and uh, the continued knowledge. Sure. So you can go to www.challengesuccess.org. You can download a free copy of the white paper. We have other white papers on there. We have uh, workshops and videos and guidelines for parents and teachers and students. Lots and lots of free resources for you at www.challengesuccess.org. Thank you so much. I am... Hoping we can do this again with um, as you guys continue to get out this really important information and we will continue to help people focus on what matters while reducing stress and increasing engagement in their lives. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. By just listening, you are working on being aware, thinking about your parent footprint, thinking about what you want for your kids, thinking about parenting with intention and purpose. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. We have a parent footprint awareness training to help you continue to increase your awareness and intention. As always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?